Welcome to It's Your Money, a practical guide for managing the financial resources God has provided. Your host is Christian attorney and financial counselor, G. Edward Reed. Hello and welcome to session number four in the It's Your Money series. We're talking about the biblical principles of personal money management. In this session, we're going to talk about, actually, the bottom line of it is tithing, but I've entitled it Satan's Plan for Your Money. The idea is that materialism actually plays a major part in the great controversy, and uh, selfishness as a result of that uh, comes out. Remember that we had read earlier in this area that no man can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That was Matthew 6, 24. But we want to see why did tithing begin anyway? And in the uh, Bible, in Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter, verse 23, it's uh, Deuteronomy, by the way, is a fascinating book, and I want you to understand why what the context is here. When the Israelites were on the very borders of the promised land at the second time after the 40-year wilderness wandering, God had told Moses that he was not going in Uh, You understand that that was not something very terrible on God's part because he actually wanted to take him to heaven, as you know. But at any rate, he says, you're not going over. And so Moses actually had a series of three sermons. Some people divided into four, but you understand these were his last sermons. And he's going over all the stuff that God had told them before. And so he says, when you go in, you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your uh, of your grain and of your new wine, your oil, the firstlings of your flock, and so on. Then he says that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. In other words, the reason for tithing is to keep us faithful to God and away from selfishness. Now, we've actually learned from the experience of Abraham, the father of the faithful, that he is really the first one who talked about tithing. So if you read in Genesis chapter 14, where he gave a tithe of all to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. I don't want to give you a sermon on this, but I will give one little illustration. Abram didn't just say, well, I'll take a tenth of it and I'll do some good with it some way. He actually gave it to God's priest because, remember, the tithe is not discretionary with us. Uh, God has a plan for it. We're going to talk about that uh, as we go through the session today. But that first mention in Genesis 14 is uh, there's no command there. Uh, Faithful people just do it. Apparently, it was something that was handed down from father to son before the commandments were given and the statutes of God and so on. So faithful people still tithe, and I think that's important to know. One of the stories of the Bible is in Genesis chapter 28, and you may want to turn there in your Bible to see this, because when Jacob... uh, conspired with his mother to deceive his old blind father, uh, something interesting happened there, and that was that Esau became so upset that he said, my father is old and he will die soon, and when the days of mourning are past, I will kill my brother. And of course he meant it, because people still fight over money today, don't they? You know, inheritance and so on. It's really, really incredible. So they called Jacob together and said, your brother's really, really mad. We didn't know he was going to take it like this. You're going to have to leave. So don't just go out and get a 
wife of among the Philistines. You go back to where your mother's from, and uh, you find a wife there, and uh, you'll, you'll be safe. So the Bible says that he took off, and not with the knowledge of his brother. And when you read carefully about this, apparently he ran with almost two days without stopping. And then he stopped, and the Bible says he put a stone at his head to hide behind, and likely he prayed. I mean, what would you think he would pray about? Accordingly to the Bible, he prayed about two things, apparently. He said, God, please don't let my brother find me while I'm sleeping. And, you know, his brother was an outdoorsman and could easily outdistance him. But he said, don't let my brother find me while I'm sleeping. And I really want to come back to this land again. It was his home. And uh, God came to him in a dream. It's pretty interesting. Uh, You may want to take your Bible and just look at it. Because in Genesis 28, this story comes out. I love the way the Bible says it. Because... You know, he hadn't eaten too much pizza, that's for sure. That wasn't the reason he dreamed, because he probably wasn't eating very much. He was running, and he had to carry everything with him. But after he prayed and laid down behind this rock, the Bible says in Genesis twenty-eight twelve, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, sometimes when you see that picture, you just see a staircase with ladders with angels going up and down. But you miss the next part. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He wanted to be Jacob's God, too. And it's a fascinating thing that when you study this story, God promised him this place and says, I'll bring you back again, and so on, and promised to be with him wherever he went. And Jacob woke up and said, and this is uh, chapter 28, verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the very gate of heaven. So he got up early in the morning, and he took that stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Beth-El, which in Hebrew is house of God. And uh, then he says, he made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, which God had just promised to do, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Now, it's interesting that God had introduced himself to him in this dream as the God of Abraham and Isaac. Just a little bit of trivia, and that is from now on, Every time God refers to himself in the Bible, he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's fascinating, really. I think I'd like to ask God to change his name again and call himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Ed. Wouldn't you like your name in there, too? And the interesting part about it, that wasn't the end of it. He said, the stone that I've put up here will be a pillar, shall be God's house, And then he concludes by saying, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So as a young man, he had an adult conversion experience, if you please. And part of that was his promise to tithe. And God blessed him, as you know. An interesting, interesting story. Well, what about the significance of tithing, really? 
In the book Councils on Stewardship, page 65, and I've read this from other authors as well, the indication is that the tithing system has an equivalency to the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Old Testament. Now, you understand that when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, of all the things that you see, you may freely eat. Those, that's a quote from Genesis. But then he said, except this one tree. Don't eat that tree because that's my tree of knowledge of good and evil and so on. At any rate, uh, we're told that in like manner, in the same way, God has placed us in the abundance of the world and says, of all these things I made for your benefit, but I only reserve the tithe for myself. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was uh, thinking uh, part of my educational training is I have a master's degree in public health. And when I was in public health school at Loma Linda, I uh, learned that eating between meals is not good for you. In general, people who snack have uh, more obesity, more hypertension, more dental caries, and so on. And so I, I, I actually thought one time, well, maybe this big problem of snacking or eating between meals came from Eve when she ate of that tree. But the book Education, page 25, has an interesting statement. It says there was nothing poisonous in the fruit itself, and the sin was not merely in yielding to appetite. Here's what it was. It was distrust of God's goodness, disbelief of his word, and rejection of his authority that made our first parents transgressors and brought into the world a knowledge of evil. Now that's pretty interesting because when we are faithful with our tithe, we show God that we trust his goodness, we believe his word, and we accept his authority. It's not on man's authority. Tithing was not put together by some denomination any denomination. It's in God's word. It's basic there for us all to see. Now, it's interesting also that you see this covenant relationship. Uh, I remember many years ago, we've just talked about Abraham's covenant, and we've talked about Jacob's covenant. They vowed to God and so on. Well, I can remember in my personal situation that when I was baptized as a young man, I remembered that the pastor called a group of us who were being baptized that day to the front, and uh, he asked us what we call an examination of the candidates. Do you believe that the church is God's remnant church, and will you support it with your tithe and offerings? Guess what I said? I said, yes. Of course, I had my fingers crossed behind my back, and I said, if everybody always does everything just the way I want, if they put always the same color, right color of carpet that I like and everything, then I'll be faithful. Or if the preacher always speaks to me or gives me the right kind of sermons, then I will. No, I didn't say that. I said yes, and I meant it, because it was part of my covenant, my baptismal covenant, my baptismal vow between me and God. And God has blessed as a result of that. We understand from Councils on Stewardship, page 75, he who gave his only begotten son to die for you has made a covenant with you. He gives you his blessings, and in return he requires you to bring him your tithes and offerings. Now one of the more serious things about tithing is that the Bible says in Malachi, the third chapter, that failure to tithe is robbery of God. Now this is very serious. A lot of people recognize that you would never rob from your friend, but would you rob God? Uh, before I went to law school, I didn't really understand the significance of robbery because there are actually levels of theft crime. When you take criminal law, you understand that. Let me give you an illustration. If uh, 
someone drives by your place and sees something you've left outside, say like a barbecue grill or a bicycle or a lawnmower, and they just stuck it in their pickup or their van and they haul it off, assume they were arrested, what could they be charged with? Robbery? No. You haven't been robbed. Somebody stole something from you. And what I, they could be charged with theft. Simple theft by conversion, we say in the law. Taking the property of another with no intention of returning it. Let's make it a little more serious. Let's say someday while you're gone, someone breaks into your house and steals your DVD player. What could they be charged with if they were arrested? Robbery? No. It's very serious. In the state of Florida, uh, home entry is automatic jail time. So we're talking something pretty serious here. This actually is burglary, classic burglary, breaking and entering the dwelling of another with the purpose of committing a felony inside. Now, the interesting thing is you have breaking, entering, and theft merged together, and this is a very serious crime that can actually put you in jail in many states. But robbery has not occurred. Robbery only occurs when the owner is present, and the one doing the robbing has the present ability and the intention to do harm to that person by taking something that doesn't belong to them. And the Bible says that failure to tithe is robbery. Now, this is very, very important because the devil comes along and he gives all kinds of crazy reasons to people as to why they shouldn't tithe. God understands that you're poor. You know, on and on and on, these things could go. Uh, or the church is not really teaching the truth, or there's just all kinds of things. The devil wants you to break your covenant with God and to rob him. And uh, we understand that we're saved by faith, but I can tell you there's not going to be any active robbers in heaven. We're going to have to overcome that one for sure. Okay, I want to tell you that uh, we not only rob God when we uh, refuse our tithe, but we also rob ourselves of the blessing of God and of our covenant relation with him. Uh, someone uh, asked me one time what I thought the worst sin was, and so I asked them a question. Well, you've been to my seminar. You may think I'm a pretty nice guy, so uh, what would be the worst thing you could hear about me in the future? It doesn't take many people long to think, well, you ran off with your secretary, or you uh, did some crazy thing by stealing money from the church or whatever. But we're actually told in Councils on Stewardship, page 86, to defraud God is the greatest crime of which man can be guilty, and yet this sin is deep and widespread. So we want to recognize that tithing is an act of worship. Because the Bible says, bring the tithe to the storehouse. And when you look at it in Psalm 116, this is pretty interesting. God says there through David, what shall I render to the Lord? David is speaking for all of his benefits toward me. I'll take up the cup of salvation. I'll call on the name of the Lord and I'll pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. And uh, it goes on to say, in the, this is Psalm 116, 12 to 14, that he would pay his vows in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house. So there's a lot of discussion now about uh, different kinds of worship styles. When you read the Bible, you really don't find an order of service or a worship style that is mentioned. I think God allows us to use some creativity on that. But there are always four elements to worship. And I think we need to make sure they're present. Anytime there's worship, there's communication with God, there's like the study of his word, there's prayer, those two things, that's the communication process, the study of God's word and prayer. Always there is music. Whenever you hear of worship, there was a choir. It was God's plan that, you know, the Levites have a choir and so on. So music is a part of worship.
And guess what else? Our tithe and offerings. It's always a part of worship when you see a worship experience in the Bible. In fact, there are stories of the king who would not even go up to see the prophet without having an offering to go. We understand how important this is. So I can... Uh, tell you now that most people, because of radio and television, uh, are losing their accents. But there are still words that are used in some areas. I remember I was raised in California, and when we talk about uh, more than one person, we say, you guys. But uh, in the South, where I lived for a number of years, the expression is, y'all. And uh, when I thought about that, I thought, well, you know, in reading Malachi, the third chapter, he must have been from Alabama or somewhere in the south because it says, bring y'all the tithes into the storehouse. But he's not really saying, y'all bring the tithe, but he's saying, bring all the tithe. That means the whole tithe. And all the new versions of the Bible say it in that way, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, tithing and revival go along in a wonderful way. And I want you to understand, we're on page 12 now in the workbook, but I want you to see Malachi, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 28 talks about something here that I think is very, very important. Uh, in the 28th chapter, God says, if you're faithful, I want to read just uh, one passage here. This would be the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. Remember, this Deuteronomy book is Moses going back over God's plans for Israel. He says, now it shall come to pass, this is Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations, and all these blessings will come on you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, if you go down, there's... Uh, here are actually 14 verses of promises to those who are faithful. But in verse 12 it says, The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. God says, if you're faithful, doing what I've commanded you, and of course that includes the tithe and so on, then he's going to bless Another one that's real interesting is in Malachi, the third chapter, where it says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse, and uh, then he says, I'll open for you the windows of heaven, that there will not be room enough to receive it. A lot of times we miss verse 11, because it actually says, I love this the way it says it, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. In other words, God says, a lot of the bad stuff that happens to people is not going to happen to you because you're going to be faithful and I'm going to watch over you. Now, we live in a sinful world, you understand, and bad things happen to good people. But the fact is, if we're following God, we can look back on our life and say, there's no question, God has blessed me, he has blessed my family. So when we want to have a revival and a reformation, think in terms of Malachi, where it says, I am the Lord, I change not. He says, you return to me and I'll return to you. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I remember that uh, hearing about a man and his wife who were driving on a Sunday afternoon out in the country, and the lady said to her husband, uh, why don't we sit close anymore when we're driving in these roads? And the man said, well, I'm still sitting behind the steering wheel. In other words, somebody moved, and typically it's not God, it's us. We move away from him, so we need to come back. And part of that, he says in Malachi 3, is stop robbing me. And so if you really want a good connection with God, trust him with your finances and establish the tithe. 
Now we're going to look at a couple of things. Some people want to know, well, really, what is an honest tithe? If I just have, you know, 10%, I know it's a tenth, but if I give it to my children's school education, if I help to build the new gymnasium at the school, whatever it might be, is any good thing I do part of my tithe? No, the Bible says that the tithe is unique. It is holy and belongs to God. So we're going to look at what are the elements of an honest tithe. And I will try to give you, you know, a little uh, insight into this honest tithe thing. It actually has three elements, and in English, they all begin with the letter P. I just recently gave this down in uh, uh, French West Indies in Guadeloupe, and it was translated into French, so I don't know how it is in other languages, but it's for easy for us to remember. It's all P. There are three of them. These are the elements of an honest tithe. The first element is portion or percent, and uh, the Bible indicates that that is one-tenth. And uh, we want to be honest and faithful. Sometimes people have questions about whether they should tithe on one thing or another. And I tell people typically, well, I would rather err on the side of generosity with God because he is honest. And if we overpay him, he'll get it back to us some way. And I can tell you many, many stories that people have told me of God's blessing. If we have a moment near the end, I'll try to share a couple of these with you. But in the meantime, the first one is the portion or percent, which is one-tenth. The second element of an honest tithe is the place to return it. And I can tell you without any question that those who really do a biblical study of the tithe recognize that it's not to be used for capital campaigns or for anything other than returning to the storehouse, and that is the place from which the pastors are paid. Now, sometimes uh, people would like to think, well, their local church is the storehouse. Well, if you belong to a church that pays the pastor from the local church, uh, that may be true. But in our case, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have what we call a congregate. We don't have congregational, but rather a representative form of governance. And the pastors are paid from the conference office, and we believe that to be the storehouse. The point I will make from this is the pastor doesn't hunt through the offering on Saturday night to find out where how much came in, but the funds are sent by the treasurer to the storehouse, and then the pastor is paid from there. So we don't really have discretion as to how to use it. Now, our offerings, which are taken from the 90% that we have left, and that could be a huge amount, would also uh, be at our own discretion. We can use those as we see fit in helping others and helping advance the cause of God. Now, the third point of an honest tithe, the third word that begins with the letter P, is the purpose, and that is for the support of ministry. So I will just tell you that the Bible talks about that very clearly. We understand that the tithe is the Lord and is holy, but he then comes along in Numbers 18.21, and he says, I have given the tribe of Levi the tithe as an inheritance. And they were to be the people who are supporting uh, the cause of God or the religious workers in those days. Now, there are a couple of other points that we want to make here that I hope you'll benefit from. And that is that in the tithing area, we recognize that God's plan is best. We may have our own ideas about this, but it's certainly important that we understand that when churches or individuals are faithful to God, they will prosper and they'll be happy in doing that. Now, it doesn't make sense, actually, mathematically, to believe that you can give away a tenth right off the top and have more money. But that's one of the reasons that God asks us to put him first. Because if we waited until last thing, 
there wouldn't be much left to give. And that's pretty important. I believe that God allows us to uh, trust him in this way and to see he, he really works. For example, we haven't really seen God, but we know he exists because of answered prayer, his providential leading in his life, and fulfilled promises to us. So I'm going to share with you one of those promises in my behalf. I remember that uh, uh, Kathy told me, my wife Kathy, she's, she's been our money manager for the whole time we've been married, many years. And uh, she told me one time, you know, if I waited till last thing to pay the tithe, there probably would never be enough money. But somehow there is enough when we put God first, and I think that's a good testimony. <clears throat> when we were early in our marriage, I remember an experience one time. We uh, typically at Thanksgiving time get together with Kathy's family and have for many years. But about the second or third year we were married, we were living in Michigan at the seminary, and we didn't actually have enough money to make the trip to Tennessee because actually gas was 36 cents a gallon, and it was just gone up to that. The point I want to make from this is that we decided we couldn't go, but we invited some people over to our house. And Kathy asked me early in the week, uh, do you have any money that I could buy some extra things, you know, like uh, cranberry sauce and special things that we have typically on that day. And I said, no, I don't. I, I don't have anything. But I said, I've got $40 that is tithe money in my top drawer. And uh, then I said to her, you know, tithe this for the ministry. And we are studying for the ministry. And God knows how poor we are and so on. Uh, but we both looked at each other and got that look. No, 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 we don't want to do that. So we actually filled out an offering envelope and put our tithe in it right then and sealed it up. But that didn't buy us any cranberry sauce. So I decided that uh, we would have to th let God provide for us in some way. Well, here's the interesting story that happened. Later in that day, I thought to myself, you know, we could probably sell blood. Well, this is kind of a crazy story, but I want you to understand how great God is. So I called Kathy and I said, uh, see if you can find some place that buys blood. And she was taking nursing, and so she called around and she found that Buchanan Hospital, you know, a few miles uh, southwest of Andrews University area, was buying blood. So we went down there and uh, we had to have our blood typed. Mine was typed and I'm A positive like, you know, most Americans are a lot big percentage. And so they drew my blood and they gave me a little slip to go to the business office and they gave me $10. Well, when they tested Kathy, she is uh, O negative, which is a rare blood type and is uh, real in demand in certain circumstances. So they actually gave her a little slip that said, you can get $30 for yours. And so between the two of us, we had our $40 back. Now, our friends didn't know that we were, uh, you know, serving them with food bought with blood money. But the fact is, God knew. And uh, when we finished two and a half years later there, we both had our degrees. We had no student loans. We had no debts. We had a new car. And we were on our way to a uh, successful ministry. We've never forgotten that, but I do want to tell you that the Bible says that when you're faithful, that God will bless to a thousand generations. Almost 30 years later, when our daughter Melissa was graduating from Andrews University, uh, we were there, of course, in the audience, and I was looking at the program, and all the people knew was here was Melissa Suzanne Reed getting her uh, degree cum laude from Andrews University. But Kathy and I knew when she went across and shook the president's hand and got a diploma, but she had no student loans and no debts, and God was blessing her as well. I believe that God loves each one of us and that we can actually see in this life tangible evidences of God's love for us and that he will continue to bless us. 
I want to encourage you who are listening to this to make a renew your covenant actually with God and say, I know you've blessed me. I know you're in charge. I don't want to rob you. I want to use what you've given me to advance your cause and to bless your work. Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll talk about getting out of debt in our next session. been listening to It's Your Money with Christian attorney and financial counselor G. Edward Reed. If you'd like to learn more about developing financial strategies from a Christian perspective, call 1-800-328-0525 and ask for the companion It's Your Money book and workbook written by Mr. Reed. You can also order individual It's Your Money CDs by name or topic. Call 1-800-328-0525 or visit online at www.adventsource.org.